You're listening to ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to Heart Matters, where leading cardiology experts explore the latest trends, technologies, and clinical developments in cardiology practice. Heart Matters is produced in cooperation with the American College of Cardiology. Your host is Dr. Janet Wright, Senior Vice President for Science and Quality for the American College of Cardiology. New evidence strengthens the link between air pollution and heart disease. How strong is the evidence suggesting a causal relationship between the two? And how can patients limit their risk of adverse cardiovascular disease-related events from air pollution, even in the urban areas? Our guest today is Dr. Sidney Smith, Professor of Medicine and Director of the Center for Cardiovascular Science and Medicine at the University of North Carolina in Chapel Hill. Welcome, Dr. Smith. Thank you. Pleasure to have you today. And before we get to your recent study, I want you to lay the groundwork for us. What have we known to date about the effect of air pollution on the heart? Well, the interest in air pollution goes back at least two decades in terms of how it might be related to cardiovascular events. And it occurs in two areas. The first is whether or not cardiovascular acute events, that is hospitalization with myocardial infarction, heart attacks, or congestive heart failure or arrhythmias may be triggered by exposure to air pollution. And then the second centers around whether or not chronic exposure to air pollution is in fact a risk factor for developing atherosclerotic disease and long-term cardiovascular disease. So there are really two areas that are of interest and have been the subject of fairly large epidemiologic studies dating back 20 or 30 years actually and there were observational studies before that, all pointing toward both uh, triggering of acute events and also the development chronically of disease. This evidence was so profound that in 2004, the American Heart Association published a scientific statement. It was the first scientific statement regarding air pollution and cardiovascular disease, and the idea was that we wanted to alert not only healthcare providers, but also researchers and regulatory agencies with the information that linked air pollution to cardiovascular events, death and the morbidity from it, and to hopefully raise awareness. And one of the important observations has been, we all think about, the, oh, the air is bad, pollution, and you're going to have a lot of lung disease. Actually, the health consequences of air pollution equal or probably exceed those related to pulmonary disease. So the effect of air pollution on cardiovascular events is as significant as its effect on pulmonary disease. So it is, in fact, a risk factor for heart disease. Yes, and I think that was the important focus on the recent update that's come out uh, from the American Heart Association, which I was one of the co-authors that the writing group in reviewing the evidence that has continued to accumulate since the first statement in 2004, if you look overall at the evidence that there's a causal relationship between exposure to particulate matter 2.5, which is the area that is of highest risk to cardiovascular events, to morbidity and mortality. And Sid, what's considered to be the mechanism for the pathophysiology of that particulate damage to hearts? That's a very important, it's a good question. You can show multiple pathways 
One of the major ones, of course, is a heightened inflammatory response. And as, of course, inflammation right now is of key interest in cardiovascular disease broadly. And so the effect to uh, heighten the inflammatory response is very high, but there's a, a decrease in fibrinolysis. There are long-term effects on a vascular tone, and also there are some changes in the autonomic system, a decrease in uh, HRV, heart rate variability. So there are broad effects, not just those that are on endothelial function, but uh, inflammation, oxidative stress, platelet activation, fibrinogen, a whole cascade of events which could trigger atherosclerotic vascular events. And so, Sid, again, looking at the end result of that particulate exposure and all of those mechanisms that you just mentioned, they're manifest in ischemic heart disease? Is that where we're headed? The direct relationship has been on ischemic heart disease, coronary vascular disease. Secondarily, a more moderate impact has been on hospitalization for congestive heart failure. And then there have also been observations regarding hospitalization with arrhythmias and cardiac arrest. Although with cardiac arrest, as you can imagine, Janet, it's hard to separate out whether that was primarily atherosclerotic event or uh, primary arrhythmia. So uh, in order of significance, atherosclerotic vascular disease, heart attacks, number one. Number two, congestive heart failure with lesser degree of impact. And thirdly, arrhythmias. But those are the three major areas. There have been some very interesting studies in Los Angeles and also in Eastern Europe among women who are pregnant, suggesting there also may be an increase in congenital heart disease. Those studies need a little more work before you could really pull them in and put them up front on the table. Right. Well, and you read my mind. I was going to ask you next about gender or racial ethnic differences in the risk involved. Well, there are some data to suggest, especially that women... Uh, women with a metabolic syndrome and so forth may be at risk more so than men. So when we get into areas, what should we tell our patients? One of the things that we look at, well, who are the risk groups? Well, the people that are at risk are those that the elderly are more likely to be affected by situations where particulate matter is increased. Patients with diabetes, high risk. Patients with known coronary heart disease or a history of congestive heart failure and also lung disease. And interestingly, those of lower socioeconomic status. If you start looking at things like the metabolic syndrome or patients with elevated risk factors that would increase their risk for coronary heart disease, women with a metabolic syndrome may be at slightly higher risk than men. So in terms of counseling patients about the risk from air pollution, we would first counsel those that are really at significant risk, the elderly, those with diabetes, those with known cardiovascular disease, to really, when the levels are high, limit exposure, don't be involved in heavy exercise outside. And actually, you know, if you're not in a well air-conditioned filtered building, the, the risk extends indoors. But avoid heavy activity, avoid time spent in really heavy traffic And then if you were looking at people that were, let's say, women with metabolic syndrome and also multiple other risk factors, they might be a little bit more affected than men. So you'd want to avoid your exercise in times when air pollution is high. And you can go. It's an excellent resource if you want to know the current levels 
of particulate matter 2.5 in your area, they're www.airnow.gov. And that airnow is A-I-R-N-O-W. So it's www.airnow.gov. We'll tell you daily what the air pollution in your area. And of course, this statement does not deal with secondary smoke, secondhand smoke, which is also a major problem. This is looking primarily at particulate matter, which comes from motor vehicle emissions, tire fragmentation, road dust, a lot of commercial power generation. And then in developing nations, agriculture, windblown soil, pollens and moles, forest fires, volcanic emissions. You can you live out in California, both Jen and I have lived there, where you get some major problems with fires in San Diego. The air pollution several years ago with major fires was quite high. And there, of course, is interest in how that may result in more hospitalizations for coronary events, triggering events, and congestive failure. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Heart Matters on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Janet Wright, and our guest today is Dr. Sidney Smith. He's professor of medicine and director of the Center for Cardiovascular Science and Medicine at the University of North Carolina in Chapel Hill. We're discussing the link between air pollution and heart disease. Sid, you were just giving us a listing of many of the sources of air pollution, and we were talking predominantly, I think, about the U.S. You were just mentioning developing nations. You have leadership and have always had in organizations that span the globe. We were both recently in China. Talk to our audience about some of the challenges in areas like China. It's really an excellent question. The air pollution in countries with developing economy, the two largest countries in the world, uh, China and India, both have significant problems with uh, air pollution. And uh, the sources are related to increasing motor vehicle emissions. There's a much greater use of motor vehicles and also power generation, industrial combustion, and the burning of coal and so forth. In India, I went to a fascinating meeting where we were looking at and considering funding from some large foundations and, and multi-million dollar funds. 40 to 50 percent of the human population is cooking on these little stoves that burn either animal dung or wood, and they are exposed to significant microparticulate matter in that setting, something we don't even think of in North America and Europe. But in India and Africa and, and Indonesia, large areas of the world, these stoves is how they actually prepare their food. And it has been the subject of uh, several very interesting articles during the past year or two. The refinement of that, there are even people working on solar power sources for these stoves so that they can cook food without having to expose themselves to uh, increasing microparticulate matter. In developing nations, the sources of the air pollution varies from the fact that they are transitioning into a more modern form of transportation, such as cars, to the, how they generate their energy. And it's very, very difficult. Sometimes, you know, these countries need to get going. They need more energy. And the, the coal plants just don't burn as cleanly. And so getting them up to speed really requires significant investments in money and technology. The governments in these countries are recognizing that. And in Beijing, for instance, they were able to significantly decrease the air pollution at the time of the Olympics. They did so by having people drive their car 
on an odd-numbered day only if the license plate ended in an odd number, and they shut down some of the factories that were polluting. And I'm a runner. I was particularly impressed with the fact, I was worried about the track events and especially the marathon, and yet back when they had the Olympics in Beijing, the world record for the marathon actually was set in Beijing, a new world record. So they did a pretty good job of at least transiently cutting down on the pollution. But the, anyone who has been to China recognizes that is a huge problem for them. It's any developing nation around the world that's trying to transition its economy is up against this. So there's a great interest now in how we can help with that. Now, there are studies now in Germany, for instance, showing that the people that live closest to freeways where they are exposed to diesel exhaust have a higher incidence of atherosclerotic vascular disease and events. And one of the most interesting studies to me was a study that was done in uh, Scandinavia. It's actually through a group in Stockholm where they took 20 men who had known heart disease. They'd had a myocardial infarction, and they exercised them in a room which was hooked up to the exhaust from a diesel engine. In one setting, they exercised with normal air, and then in another setting, they exercised in air which was polluted by the diesel fumes. And they actually showed a decrease in exercise capacity, increase in exercise-induced ST depression. The whole ischemic burden was increased. There was a decrease in endogenous fibrinolytic capacity in these men, reflecting the effect on coagulation. So it was quite clear that patients with known coronary disease had a significant impact on their exercise capacity, on the evidence for ischemia, and on fibrinolysis when they were exercising in air-polluted situation. Now, that's diesel fuel, and, you know, that's often on the table as, well, here's something we can do with the whole energy crisis. This is an issue that extends well beyond Los Angeles or one of the polluted cities in the United States. It's with us uh, broadly as humans. We're recognizing when we admit patients with coronary disease, uh, even though their blood pressure, cholesterol, and other factors may look good, something is going on there. One of the things that's on the table right now is the potential effect of what we breathe is adversely affecting us in terms of the morbidity and mortality from cardiovascular disease. We've been talking with Dr. Sidney Smith, the world-renowned cardiologist. Dr. Smith, you're moving us from awareness about the link between air pollution and heart disease into action, and we appreciate the chance to chat today. My pleasure. You've been listening to Heart Matters on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. Heart Matters is produced in cooperation with the American College of Cardiology. For more information on this week's show or to download a podcast of this segment, please visit us at ReachMD.com. Thank you for listening.